Hello, everybody. My guest today is an author, TEDx speaker, and life coach. He is the founder of the Insecurity Project and specializes in helping ambitious people experience deep change so that they're able to overcome intense limitations and have the life they desire. He is widely recognized as one of the Australia's leading life coaches as one of the trusted voices globally in dealing with personal insecurity. Please welcome to the show, Jamin Fraser. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, Jamin, mate. Great to have you here this morning. I did it again. <laughs> this afternoon, mate, this afternoon. We're at 2 o'clock right now. So, how has your day been treating you so far? Uh, yeah, great. I've been uh, busy writing this morning and uh, yep, chipping away. Very, very close to having two books ready to be launched. So, in the final stages now, it's occupying all my time and energy. Wow. And you already have published a book before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple out already, um, but it's been been a few years. So this one, these two books I've been working on for some time, um, always takes much longer than I think. Now, what 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 can we expect out of the books? I'm quite uh, curious uh, myself. Um, sure. what, what can we expect out of these two books? What what problem do they solve? Uh, so the first one is off the back of the radio spot that I have. So I, I have a segment called the One Minute Coach, which you know, plays on um, 20 or 30 stations around the country daily and it's just a 60-second soundbite um, of personal development content that's not adding to the noise. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of lightweight stuff out there when it comes to the personal development space. So every time I do one of those segments, it's it's got to be meaningful, it's got to be relevant, it's got to be a quality idea. So I have 365 of those segments and uh, so the process of editing those into book form uh, has almost been finished. So that's the first one. It, it'll be called uh, The One Minute Coach 365 Provoking Insights to Start Your Day. Right. And the second book is Unhindered, uh, The Seven Essential Practices for Overcoming Insecurity. So uh, that's off the back of the Insecurity Project and, uh, you know, probably represents my life's work. I think it's the thing I've been obsessed about for at least 10 years, uh, mm-hmm. how does insecurity get solved, not just managed? So I'm, I'm sure there are seven practices. Right. Well, let's, that work well. let's dive into that. Well, let's talk about that because you've got an interesting journey and I know, you know we've met back last year when you, you know, we introduced each other and you, you sort of told me your, your story and uh, it's a very interesting story. I mean, um, keen to share? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what would you like to know? Well, you, you've been a rabbi before, right? Working in the church, correct? Uh, yep, yeah, a pastor, yep. Yeah. Sorry, pastor, that's right, my bad. Now, being a pastor, how does one, you know, being a pastor in the in the past, how does one move from that and now become uh, an insecurity coach? Um, yeah, well, I was, I was given the leadership of the church that I grew up in when I was just 23, so uh, it was a deep dive into... Uh, a lot of responsibility and we had a Christian school and a daycare centre at the time so there was also a bunch of business stuff. Uh, found out we were trading insolvently so there was a bunch of tax stuff and financial pressure so it was a, a deep dive into not just leading people but uh, leading an organisation and all that went along with that. So you've got to learn so much about yourself in those situations and, mm. and so much about others to be effective. Uh, so it was a very, very meaningful experience. I, I loved that. I poured my heart and soul into it. 
and it was always an incredible privilege to be invited into people's world to have conversations about change. And that was the role of pastor in many ways. It was a, a respected role um, where I had opportunity to, to constantly speak to people and speak to them about the stuff that mattered. Uh, but but interestingly, I, I think that over the years I was always uh, surprised and frustrated by the lack of change that I saw happen out of those conversations and the, and the typical tendency of the faith community that I was part of and, and probably to a large extent a lot of people's experience within faith is that there's a lot of hope placed on God to save the day. So, um, you know, God is if I pray, if I trust, if I just believe, uh, if I read my Bible, if I am at church, then God will somehow take care of the details of my life and, you know, fix my marriage and restore mm. my finances and, you know, the idea of awareness and responsibility and it just seemed very secular uh, and therefore outside the box. Sounds um, like lacking, lacking the taking ownership almost, like lacking taking yeah, ownership. that's right. There was a lack of that, I think. It's a very childlike experience. So uh, when I got introduced to the coaching skill set uh, a little over 10 years ago, I, I was just absolutely astounded at how potent and useful these tools were and it just felt like a missing technology for me so uh, i was so intrigued and astounded by just just what it meant for my own life understanding these ideas let alone what it could do for people that i led and so i immediately uh went and, and signed up for a cert a diploma in, in life coaching and um and my first three-day intensive I, you know, day two and I decided that's it. I'm, I'm going to quit my job. I was working as a school chaplain at the time as well. So I'm, I'm going to quit that. I'm going to start my own coaching business. Um, it was just such a strong sense of this is me. And, uh, and, and, but at the same time, it didn't feel like a massive pivot, to be honest, even though all my friends and family saw it as, uh, a lot of them saw it as a disaster. A lot of them saw it as a, a terrible move, uh, a move away from God, a move into being selfish or humanistic or a bunch of other things. But I, I found it a very congruent move and mm. uh, just the next logical step in the progression and evolution of me being me and me being useful. Um, yeah, so I, I thought... I've got I've got the experience. I've worked with people my whole adult life. I, I I'm good at that. I'm good at communicating. I'm good at listening. I'm good at exploring what's going on. Now now I've got some tools that I could bring to that those conversations and be far more more effective. So um, it seemed like a, a really natural step uh, when I look back at it. And yeah, I'm so glad that I found a way to transition into coach from pastor. I think I was a decent. I think I was a decent pastor but but i think i'm an excellent coach i think that that suits me uh down to the ground and the coaching is an interesting topic on its own i mean it's about helping somebody to get from a to b and it's all about asking the right questions and then getting them to to take their ownership on the action right mm -hmm. rather than prescribing which is okay. where yeah. you might have felt like being before right like as a pastor people uh, come yeah share their issues and yeah ab absolutely um uh, as i you know, I might get to share in a moment, but I'll um, a preempt your question. Uh, you practice five in my model, uh, and the book that I'm writing is to get help from someone who doesn't care about you. And I think that is the key distinction around moving from pastor to coach because 
uh, pastoral is definitely a care role. It's a support role. Um, and uh, and the, the expectation is that uh, your pastor is going to love you and support you through whatever. Um, whereas coach, it, it turns out that my number one job when I get the privilege of coaching someone is to convince them that I don't care, that I have no vested interest in their outcome, that I'm not losing any sleep over their life, that I'm not the one with the problem, uh, and just to be completely objective uh, about their situation. And it sounds very offensive and very cold, but when a person understands that, they, they realise what a gift it is to have someone like that in their world because it creates this level of safety for them to come out of hiding and have any conversation they want to have. Because um, typically we reach out to people who do care about us and they do want something for us or from us. So it's never safe to be completely vulnerable or open. Uh, so, yeah, def- definitely a different modality, the coaching to pastoring, trying to solve similar problems. But, uh, yeah, and as you said, the, the idea of empowering people to solve their own problems is a key distinction of the coaching space. I think I think that's a perfect point you just said, you know, get, making people aware that, you know, I'm not going to hold your hand. Mm. You tell me what your problem is and, and I'll show you how you go about it. But ultimately, it's your problem. you got to take mm. that ownership. And I, as a coach, I'm here to help you navigate through that process. But I'm certainly not going to, you know, uh, think about it while I'm trying to sleep. You know, it's like perfect. Yeah, perfect example. Because, and that that is ultimately the way it should be because uh, people need to realize that they they have to take ownership of their own problems and actions so yeah and, and i think it is a great challenge for people in the coaching space or the psychology space or the pastoring space or the counseling space uh you know i think the great challenge is not to get in the way when you're given the privilege of helping people and I think there's a bunch of insecurity within those roles that gets fed by being the rescuer by being the hero. So people like to be needed. They like to be the one dependent upon. They like to be the one with all the answers. Uh, and so they they create uh, codependency and they disempower people because they never allow them the space to find their own solutions because they like to be the one dominating the space. So mm. it, it, there is a bunch of challenges uh, finding someone who can hold a clean conversation with you and not get in the way. Plus, it's probably also a matter of you know not not being um, you know educated as as a, as a pastor with coaching skills. So you probably right. don't know the right questions to ask. Yeah, exactly right. That's that's so true. Yeah, it wasn't part of the training process. It was a very different kind of training, and uh, you know a different role in many ways. So you're right. So what are some of the good questions? You know, when when it comes to you know helping somebody navigate through their insecurities, what is like a good starting questions to ask someone? Oh, yeah, great. Uh, My two favorite questions to start a process are around problem solving. Um, So I I, I love to ask the question, okay, so what problem are you most looking to solve right now as a lead? Because I think that immediately that moves a person towards uh, being more precise and more specific with what's happening because typically people are a bit abstract and vague about what's going on in their world. There's a general sense of discomfort or I don't like this, things aren't great. Um, But to pinpoint exactly what's not great or exactly what the problem is is a a difficult process. So so question one moves them from abstract down towards specific and being precise. Uh, You know, so what problem are you most looking to solve right now? Um, But 
Question two is the game changer because it says, well, are you sure that's actually the problem? Mm. Because even when you've done all the work around diagnosing your own issue, it's likely that you're addressing the symptom of something deeper because people typically, you know, try and bring change where they see pain. So pain shows up in their finance or their health or their relationships and so they think it's a finance problem or a health problem or, or a relationship problem when in actual fact that's just a symptom and fruit of the deeper problem around their own inner world and the beliefs they're living out of. Almost like it's almost like they're coming from the conscious, what they know, what they know, of but it, typically it's the unconscious, isn't it? Yeah, that's, and that's the whole role of coaching is to create more awareness and therefore give more choice. So you can't change it if you can't see it. So, yeah, the way into a, a quality change process is an accurate diagnosis of what it is that you're working on because if you're not clear about the problem, then all effort, energy, time, money spent fixing it is ultimately wasted because it's an exercise in behaviour management. Uh, so it pays to get clear about the real problem first. Now, 10 years later, now you're, you're a successful coach. You've traveled the world. You've helped many people and you've been able to scale it because you're able to do it through online. And like you said, that journey with family sort of seeing it as, as a failure where you see it as a natural progression because mm. you wanted to help more people and the only way you can do it is when you move away from that one-on-one scenario. Um, over those 10 years, what were some of the biggest insecurities for yourself that you mm. had to overcome? I can still vividly remember... After the excitement of deciding I was going to be a coach and diving into the coach training process, uh, I was in Melbourne and really excited about my future and, and making a difference and launching this career. And so I finally decided I'm going to write my first book. And I went back to the hotel room after telling on the phone, I had a conversation with my wife and my best friend, telling them both that I was going to write this book finally. I'd been talking about it for a while and just kind of painting this picture of my future. Anyway, went back to the hotel room, opened the laptop, punched out the first chapter of my first book and just felt so energised and passionate and excited. Um, but literally the second I shut that lid, you know, about 11 o'clock at night, that energy turned from excitement to, holy shit, what have I done? You know, now I've put it out there, now I've spoken it. Uh, now I've started something. What if I'm no good? What if I can't? What if I fail? What if no right. one likes it? So I uncovered this mountain of insecurity that I didn't even know existed, and and I don't I don't think I slept a wink all night. It was just it was like this monster that had been unleashed. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll be forever grateful that I was in the context of the coaching space to be able to then explore that, and and I just made an intention in that moment to say if if I don't find a way to resolve this insecurity it will destroy my life like that is how ferocious this fear is it will have the capacity to make me give up on the things that are most important to me to shrink back from these dreams i have for my life it will affect my health my relationships my finances and, and i'm not willing for that to happen so i have to find a way first and foremost to overcome my own insecurity um, and I, I guess that if I can do that well, I might learn some things in that process that will be useful for others as well. Did you try to go through that process by yourself? Uh, well, yes and no. I kind of got that no one was coming to save me, so this was my own inner battle. Um, you know, but I was exposed to great coaches and in the context of being trained as a coach, I had access to all kinds of resources and all kinds of conversations with people who I respected and uh, but yeah there have been key moments th throughout the last 10 years where coaching intensives 
um, coaching conversations have have radically transformed my life because you know it's so hard to get outside your own story and look back in on your own. There, there comes a time where we do need help, and finding the right help is important. So yeah, definitely had some coaching along the way. And so when you started, you didn't know that this is going to be really focused around insecurity, right? You no, not at all. You just wanted to help people as a general sort of being a coach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a very pragmatic person. I'm a very curious person. I, I love the things that work. I, I want to understand why. And so in my process of helping people deal with their stuff, I just I had this aversion to behavior management or giving them Band-Aid strategies. I just wanted to see transformation. And, and I was so curious around the strategies what people were running to uh, – To, to lock them out of what they really wanted. So uh, all my research and all my self-exploration in that process led me away from behaviour toward beliefs and I, I just explored that. Um, it seemed that behaviour was at the end of the assembly line and always flowed out of beliefs. So I just knew that if I could understand the world of beliefs better and get good at uh, deconstructing beliefs and replacing them, that would be good for me and, and good for others. So it was just a journey into beliefs. And the more I looked at beliefs, the more I was fascinated by limiting beliefs. They were the ones that were the problem. And the more I explored about limiting beliefs, they were always self-limiting beliefs. Uh, and in some form, they were they were insecurity-related. They were always about uh, not being loved, not being worthy of love, not being good enough, uh, being found out as lacking or inadequate in some way, shape or form. So all roads kind of led to insecurity for me and uh, it was only only a couple of years ago that i went right i'm going to be i'm going to brand myself with, with that word and go all in on this one problem even though I, that's what i'd been doing anyway um, but i i decided to brand it as the insecurity project and my business coach at the time said that was a terrible idea and the wrong idea and it kind I of violated <laughs> well, listen, I love it. I think it's great. Thank you. Well, it, he said it violated, you know, business principles because you're supposed to pitch the prize, not the problem. You know, so I should have been the security coach or the confidence guy or the self-esteem uh, leader or whatever. But it just all felt too cliched, and uh, I thought I, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the elephant in the room. And yes, people are insecure about being insecure, but people suffer greatly for not knowing how to have these conversations. So. I'm just going to get straight to the the point and and talk about insecurity loudly and clearly and in a way that's intelligent and kind and graceful but but effective. And so I decided that's what I was going to do and, uh, yeah, people thought that was the wrong idea but nevertheless there are moments in time where you trust your instinct and uh, you go all in on something, um, you know, and I'm grateful that I did because it, I'm, I'm sure it was the right decision and, It's been something that have, has captivated captivated people's attention around the world and uh, given me all kinds of great opportunities. Uh, so, yeah, it feels very much like what I was designed to do and uh, a very meaningful pursuit for me. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I'm putting the business head on. Um, you've got definitely a very specific, you know, distinction with what you do, and I would. I would expect that is a lot easier to market as well because once you know holistically, you know yep. clarity. Okay, it's an insecurity project. Creating content around and creating the message around it becomes so much easier because you, you really yeah. focus on that one thing rather yeah. than 
right rather than like this so many like coaches out there um not saying they're bad or good but mm. there's a lot of coaches out there who have you know they, they might say you know i'm a, a mindset coach or um or yeah. i just help people but it's just too generic and yeah you just get lost in the noise so what i like about this this branding that you've got is is you cut through the clutter absolutely yeah and uh, one advantage of going hard after that word, which I never anticipated uh, from an SEO perspective, like there's literally no one else in the world who's been that overt with that one word. So turns out it was a great business decision from a marketing perspective because there is a lot of cut through. Um, people Google how do you overcome insecurity from anywhere in the world and they find me, they find my podcast, they find my work, they take the insecurity test. So um yeah it's it it is very specific and yes it's a vulnerable word um but an important one to explore and for anybody listening right now this is a, a great lesson you know if you're trying to grow business start a business having that niche having that you know des- descriptive thing that you do it's gonna uh, it's gonna make you um uh, be able to get yourself out in front of more people quicker and you don't have to compete on you know like on 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 most common used keywords and and things like that right you probably um correct me if i'm wrong but i think you'd probably find you know putting uh putting your advertising costs in in you know what you promote would be much better roi rather as opposed to you know if you just promote the word coach right exactly right yeah that's a very hard word to get any kind of cut through with whereas insecurity that's it's very easy and i don't at the moment, I haven't had to spend any money promoting that word or owning that word because I've owned it with my content. Mm, I owned go. it with my podcast. So there's a there's an organic reach that comes by being very consistent about a clear message around a certain problem and niching hard around it. Now, who should listen to this message? Who is this good for? That's a good question. I've this book that's nearly ready to release. I had a, a light bulb moment before going to bed about a month ago about uh, the relationship between insecurity and age Um, because I get asked to speak to young people about insecurity all the time coming to high schools and there's a bunch obviously young people are as insecure as anyone uh, but it turns out that in in general terms uh, insecurity is more likely to produce better performance uh, when you're young than, than security is, which is interesting. So uh, it might have some other side effects, but an insecure 20-year-old is more likely to go into the world and, and have a crack. They're more likely to be irrational. They're more likely to be driven. They're more likely to say, uh, I don't care what you think. You tell me no. You, you, you tell me I can't. Well, then watch me. So they're more likely to uh, explore and push the limits and go because all, all out of the need to prove that they matter and prove that they're worthy and prove that their dad was wrong or their school teacher was wrong. But nevertheless, it drives them into the world. Whereas the secure 20-year-old, because they're relaxed and at peace and there's nothing really to prove, they're, they're kind of on the back foot and just seeing what's going to happen and letting life come to them. Whereas the insecure 20-year-old is not waiting for anything. They're out there proving uh, what wonderful things they can do. Um, now that if you think about that as a as a graph, uh, insecurity starts up here, security starts here, but eventually these two lines cross over and 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 swap over. So, um, at about thirty years old, I think 
now now a secure 30-year-old is starting to see an advantage and an insecure 30-year-old is starting to see the cost. Um, but by the time you're 40, if you're being driven by insecurity at 40, uh, you're exhausted. If you're still trying to prove how wonderful you are by what you can do in the world and who you can prove to be wrong in the world. You're not a very nice person to be around for starters and you are an exhausted person, secondly. Uh, whereas a secure 40-year-old, they're doing their best work. You know, they are, they're comfortable in their own skin. They're confident in their ability to do the thing that they would like to do, not because they've got to prove anything, but because they want to bring themselves. They want to deliver an act of devotion uh, and contribution so that's a long way around answering your question. No, that's right. Uh, but the point is um, I'm not sure people are ready to deal with insecurity before 30. And even if they were, I'm not sure um, it's necessary. Like I think uh, there's a window of opportunity. I, I, I think of it like a bell curve. I think the, the readiness for change, especially around insecurity, peaks at midlife. It, it peaks at 40. Um, so I think one standard deviation, 35 to 45, is where um, 68% of the population will be most ready to have conversations about, about insecurity. There's always outliers, the people, you know, two and three standard deviations away who are ready at, you know, 20 or already at 60. Um, but predominantly uh, the insecurity project targets people who are, who are in the middle of their life and that seems to be the time most conducive to deep change work, especially around our own identity. Now, I've got a couple of questions. Um, the first and foremost, I think may, some listeners might, um, might be asking as well. You mentioned, you know, somebody who is um, insecure and then somebody who is less secure, sorry, and somebody who is more secure the one who is less secure is more likely to get out in the world and trying to prove others wrong. Mm. But then the logic, my logic also says, well, but hang on a minute. If they're insecure, then naturally they would be lacking confidence. Therefore they would be less likely to want no, to do that. So not how it works. It's, it's interesting because of the, the deep desire to feel like we matter uh, and we cannot go without that happening. Uh, so, it, it is likely to cause you to want to push to explore where you fit and how you can gain acceptance and approval from your world by what you can do for them. Uh, of course, it's a generalisation. Of course, for some people, insecurity paralyses them completely and they, they are, you know, shut down um, and have no confidence at all. Uh, but, but in general terms, insecurity is more likely to push a person to prove stuff than security is at, a, at you know, in the early 20s. So, What about age? Is, does age come into play, like say, is it easier for somebody to overcome those insecurities when they are younger? Because it's like a muscle, right? Like you, you've got some issues from childhood, um, say the way parents brought you up and they, you know, taught you certain things which mm. now affect you as an adult and you've learned um, the way of, you know, being around those things in mm. your subconscious mind you create those you know those lids and you sort of keep it covered um question here is is it easier to uncover it when you're younger or mm. or, or when you get older because yeah, maturity great. comes in place too yeah. right great great question so again this readiness for change i would say that that peaks midlife as well the 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 ideal time to deal this 
Um, although you think, oh, wouldn't it be incredible if I dealt with this when I was 20 rather than mm. 40? It turns out it's almost impossible. Um, you, you don't have the maturity, the self-awareness. Um, you're not clear enough about what you want, uh, who you are. You haven't got enough pain. Um, if there's something about pain which is super important for deep change, um, typically a 20-year-old does not have enough pain, not enough existential pain. Uh, around who am I, uh, and uh, then so therefore they don't feel the need necessarily to go back and explore their past yet. Um, whereas a sixty-year-old probably has too much pain. Um, there's some stuff that's gone a long way back, and if they haven't dealt with it at sixty, like it's now cellular, it's in invibed every part of them. Um, so to to go back and undo that, that's some significant amount of work and energy required to do that. Um, so kind of approaching midlife, the pain levels start to really escalate because people start thinking, hang on a minute, this was not what I envisaged for myself. Um, you know, things aren't going the way that I wanted them to. And when you're 20, you always think, ah, oh, it'll be fine, it'll work out, I'll get there, I'll sort this out. But you're in your 30s, you're moving towards 40, and you're like, time is running out. Like if I haven't sorted this out by 40, well, I may never sort it out. It may get too late. Uh, and so I think that that creates this readiness piece where you're like, okay, well, then clearly there's some stuff here that is baggage that I don't want to admit. But if I keep pretending that I'm fine and I haven't been impacted by some stuff from my childhood, it's going to keep ruining my life. So, um, again, a, a long answer to say I, I think whether you should deal with it when you're young or not, I'm, I'm not sure how possible it is. I'm not sure how ready people are. It seems like um, readiness starts to really grow mid-30s, mid to late-30s. So almost like you could say, well, it's, it comes down to when, when does the reality kick in for you, right? When do you realize, exactly. okay, well, i got to take my life seriously and um, I'm, I'm envisioning exactly. a different life and whether that happens in 40 or for somebody younger, um, everybody's got to go through their own journey. Now, any other good indications one can look at other than, you know, reality kicking in? Uh, in order to figure out how their insecurities are affecting their true potential. Yeah, yeah sure. Well, I think work's a, a really interesting indicator. Uh, again, you know, when you're 20s and early 30s, it, it makes sense to um, work for somebody else. Like obviously there's some really motivated entrepreneurs doing their own thing when they're young, uh, but the value of trusting someone else's wisdom and learning a craft and following someone's journey, it's it's you know, all the paths to mastery talk about the kind of discipleship process, the idea of learning from the people who've gone before you. So it makes sense to uh, have an employee mindset for some part of your life at least. Uh, but the longer you have that, the more you're kind of suppressing your own idea of, well, hang on, what's my thing? You know, I'm serving someone else's vision. I'm making someone else rich. Um, they stepped out from their boss or, you know, who they were learning from at some point and did their own thing and now I'm benefiting from that. So what's my thing? Um, so I think the journey to maturity is a journey towards entrepreneurship, towards your unique contribution to the world. So I think, again, that creates a bunch of pain and unrest. Like when you get a job in your 20s, it's hard. You love the responsibility. You're learning so much. It's, you know, it's invigorating, um, stimulating. But if you're doing the same job for 10 or 12 years or 15 years, 
You can do it with your eyes shut. You know, your boss is a dick. You could do it 15 better ways. Like it's just so much inconsistency and ineffective process in, within your work that it annoys you and it's just there's so much, you know, that's starting to agitate you about that work situation. Um, so I think the only people who who never venture beyond the employee space are the people who don't deal with insecurity because it raises this question of, well, am I good enough to do my own thing? Do I have a unique contribution or do I just need to serve someone else's vision for the rest of my life? So, um, yeah, I talk to lots of people who are in that kind of that unrest with work phase of life and exploring what it would be like to do their own thing and could they make it work. Uh, so, again, another great reason to, to indicate readiness to have a conversation about insecurity. Could it also have to do with, you know, the Maslow's Pyramid when, you know, when we talk about the Maslow's Pyramid, you need to have, you know, the basic needs, the physiological needs, you know, your shelter, your roof over your head, food, stuff like that. Then you need to, I think the second one is social acceptance and a couple of other things. But on the top is the self-actualization. Mm. So could it be that some people just don't meet all those steps, don't have those steps, you know, in that pyramid built, um, and therefore they can't see, you know, they can't sort of see that need to self-actualize, and then they stay as an employee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, the reason why a person would stop on the journey, I would say, is unresolved insecurity. They just it's too too dangerous to do any self-awareness. It's too frightening to explore who they are and what makes them tick um you know the insecurity is the fear of being found out as inadequate so that's terrifying so people find safety and comfort and they lock themselves into those spaces so they don't get exposed so that looks like people stopping uh, the growth journey on certain layers of comfort and safety and bunkering down there and then they kind of shut down their humanity as well they stop evolving as a as a being um, but again i'd say that's an insecurity problem one good way i find personally is overcoming your insecurities and 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 see the world from a bigger perspective is to go out and travel mm. have you got any of your own experience of traveling well yeah uh i read tim ferris's book the four-hour work week um early in my coaching journey and loved it and picked it up again a few years later and couldn't get past the first chapter. I was just just so um, impacted by his definition of wealth. Um, you know, the idea of time, money, and mobility being the three luxuries in life. And I just thought that is so compelling. So I rang my wife. Uh, I was on the Gold Coast at the time on some business trip and said, I, I reckon we could pull this off. I reckon we could take the family overseas for nine or 12 months. Uh, and and I said maybe Southeast Asia. She says no. Nah, if we're going to do it, it has to be Europe. I'm like cool, <laughs> let's go to Europe. So it was literally like a one minute conversation. <laughs> you know, we're in, we're doing this, and then we started telling people, yeah, yeah we're going to move our family overseas for twelve months. With no idea how we're going to pull it off, but and that's uh, with kids as well. Yeah, that's right. And and so there's schooling, there's uh, you know, there's visas, there's a whole bunch of complexity of that, but. I think all my best decisions in life have been say yes, work out how later. Because if you go the other way around, it just provides, it proves to be impossible. If you start working with how I'm going to do this, who knows how you're going to do it. But if you already commit, you're in, and you've got to find a way how. So, yeah, so we ended up moving to Germany for nine months, uh, which was an extraordinary experience in 
um, you know, uprooting ourselves from what was safe, known and comfortable to go and explore the world and to take our kids with us and to give them an experience of the world. So, yeah, it was, it was daunting, like arriving in a little village in Germany and just overestimating how much English was being spoken and like, my goodness, we're in the deep end here. We don't, we know no one. We don't speak the language. Uh, what, yep. what do we do this for? But um, you, you just got to explore and learn and um, and the wonder of people and and putting yourself in a vulnerable position where you need to rely on people to help you and the the, the beauty and humanity that gets brought out through through vulnerability. So yeah, extraordinary experience. Especially since you know, I mean, Germans, it's an, like a, it's a different culture, just a diff- different way of, of thinking, right? It's sort of, they're very you know yeah. hard work type of thing, and so out of curiosity, you've been there for twelve months with your family. Did you learn? Engl- uh, did you learn how to speak German? Yeah, <laughs> uh, ambition. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did. And my wife said. Uh, you know, because I was, I joined the soccer team, which was incredible. My son and I both joined the soccer team, and that was our way into the community, which was incredible. Um, I thought Aussie lads knew how to drink. Uh, I was greatly mistaken. German men know how to drink beer, and so uh, I was a, a deep dive into learning how to drink more beer. But I'd come home from a soccer party afterwards, and and my wife always said, uh, "Beer drinking improved my German speaking tenfold." Uh, so, <laughs> oh, 100%. I could definitely relate to that. You know, I mean, I'm from Czech Republic, which is just next to Germany. So we're beer drinkers too. And when I left when I was 19 and left to live in Scotland, I lived there for three years. My English or Scottish, I should say, actually improved so much out of going out and, you know, night clubbing, partying, and yeah, just sort of getting infused with a bit of alcohol, just sort of takes takes the edge over and, and, and you just you just you don't you stop caring whether you sound right or whether you're saying it correctly you just, right. just and immerse yourself yeah yeah and what's yeah. interesting is when you when you immerse yourself and you let go of those fears you actually you actually start to speak better well, that's how it happened yep definitely true because you stop being in your head so much and you just allow yourself to let it flow so yeah i mean i, I did my german speaking speaking improved incredibly uh still was pretty like still was a lot to learn by the time i left but uh, certainly enough to get by and interact now let's bring it back to uh back to the initial topic of overcoming insecurity so we we covered a fair bit on on a personalized side <clears throat> on a personal side of things on on you know the benefits of, of an individual but let's talk about um a business owners is there any benefits for a business owner to overcome their insecurity and how it can affect their business. Hmm. Yeah, so I would say there are five ways that insecurity really limits business and impacts business owners. Because I think if you're an entrepreneur or leading your business, it's all you. Uh, and you're, there's no, one, no one's there doing it for you. So um, your inner world is totally impacting your outer world because it's all you. Uh, and so I, I would say, yeah, insecurity shows up as it shows up as lack of assertiveness or lack of certainty, 
which is really it impacts your business. Like if you're trying to sell, your clients uh, gain certainty from your certainty. If you are uncertain, that that makes them uncertain. Uh, there are lots of people who are running teams and and find it very difficult to do conflict, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, kind of get pushed around. It affects your leadership. Totally affects your leadership. Um, it affects your ability to. Uh, price yourself effectively. There are lots of people who are, who undervalue their products and services because they struggle to put an accurate dollar amount on the value they bring. Um, I, th- I think insecurity slows down production. It it, it makes the decision making take forever because you, you're second guessing yourself. Uh, the, and the ability to be decisive and confident is robbed perhaps your selling affects affects it because i mean sorry the insecurity because you, you've got somebody on a, on a sales calls and now before you even start going into you know closing the sale or, or 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 them answering whether it's yes or no whether they're going for it you actually start giving discounts already oh 100 yep that, that happens all the time so profitability is impacted uh so there's a whole bunch of things that uh, are impacted. I, I um I designed a diagnostic tool for business owners for specifically for this to go. Okay, uh, have a look. Just just have a look under the hood and see which of these five areas are being being impacted the most by your insecurity and see what the numbers show. Um, because like I, the thing I love most about the subject of insecurity is that like it's natural, it's universal. We all develop it. Even perfect parents don't prevent their children from developing limiting beliefs. And by the way, perfect parents don't exist. So, but even if they did, they they couldn't stop children telling strange stories about themselves. That's we're sense making creatures. We're always just trying to we're making stuff up as we go. Mm. Um, so it's natural. It's universal. We've all got it. Um, but it provides us an incredible gift because it gives us something to resist. You know, you're you're in the the health and fitness game, so you know the value of resistance. Yeah, like if that's without resistance, there's no growth. So insecurity says, "Cool, this is going to be this is going to be hard for you. You're going to have to work this out, and you're going to want to run away from it. You're going to want to hide. You're going to want to fill your life full of a whole bunch of external things, so that no one would ever know there's these fears inside you. But the opportunity is to face it instead, to dive into it, to uh, allow this to take you into the deepest realms of who you are and what you believe about yourself. And if you can do that, you can come out the other side reborn. You can come out the other side with a real sense of solidness about who you are. And I'm convinced that the people who do the best work in the world do so from a place of deep personal security. They show up with nothing to prove and nothing to defend and are able to be at their best where it matters most. So that's great for business, obviously, but it's not just great for business, it's great for their marriage, it's, it's great for the way they parent their kids, it's, it's great for their health and, and, and the flow-on effect is incredible. Like um, I had a conversation with a few people about, you know, what's happening in the States at the moment and, and in our country around the racism stuff and, uh, you know, that there are insecurity challenges to be tribal, to have to defend your position, to be right and everyone else wrong, to fight for who you are and what, what's yours um, that they are all results of of systemic insecurity at a societal level that people don't know how to deal with this stuff. So it's each of our responsibility for the for the good of the planet to evolve our consciousness as human beings to face our own fears about our about ourselves 
and to grow through that and come out the other side. So, yes, it's good for business, but primarily it's good for the world for us to do this work. Because business is personal at the end of the day. It, it is, absolutely. Um, now, on the topic, you mentioned health and fitness. Mm. What do you do to keep yourself fit? Uh, interesting. I, you know, I've been a marathon runner uh, for most of my life. So I've done quite a few marathons and love distance running. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably nine months ago, there was a really interesting conversation I had with myself around shifting all my ambitious energy. Because when I when I pulled the trigger for a marathon, uh, there's been nothing else that's got the same level of enthusiasm or commitment in my life than marathon training. So I'll run. I won't miss a single session for 16 weeks. I'll, I'll be doing 120 Ks a week. I'll lose eight kilos. I'll, I'll be running sometimes, you know, four in the morning, 30K run in the frost. Um, just And I just love it. Uh, and so the interesting conversation I had with myself about that was, you know, okay, well done, Jamin. You know, you've done some cool running and you're the second fastest park runner in Goulburn sometimes. So that's a big achievement, you know. But what if... <laughs> Um, what if you were to transfer all that ambitious energy toward your entrepreneurial pursuits, your book writing, your business? Um, what could you achieve there if you were to show up with the same level of intensity as your marathon training and, and did away with the need to define yourself as an athlete but define yourself as an entrepreneur? Uh, and so it was a really interesting shift that's taken place. So I'm, I'm 41 this year. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I still do plenty of running uh, and riding, but without any tech. So I'm not tracking anything, not sharing anything. There are no goals. Um, I've put on a few kilos. Uh, you know, so it's a very different season in terms of my own health and fitness. Mm. But it feels very congruent to be able to pour my heart and soul into the uh, the stuff that's most meaningful for me instead. Yeah, I mean, looking at your website, I mean, just when we were booking this podcast was maybe, what, four weeks ago? And looking at your website now, you've done an amazing upgrade. I'm just I'm just stoked, you know, the amount of effort you've put in. Um, it's incredible because I, I believe we, we only spoke about it last time on the phone. You only just mentioned then that you were in the process of, you know, thinking about putting together an online program and sort of having some something in between the masses to one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? And yeah. now I'm looking at your website before we jump on the show and I'm looking at, wow, he's already done it. Wow, he's, uh, <laughs> well, he's on it. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for noticing that. And, it's, and it is really interesting because I'm, I'm non-negotiable about smoking what I'm selling. Um, and I, I've, been, I've been doing a deep dive into some of Carl Jung's work at the moment. Carl Jung had the, um, so Freud, Sigmund Freud, he was a student of Freud, so... Uh, so the fathers of psychotherapy and um, a lot of the personal development space, you know, developed by those characters. Uh, anyway, Jung, I, I had not really done much research or reading about Freud or Jung, but I've just loved exploring the wisdom that they brought and, and the experiments they ran and what they pioneered. Um, the, the point of my story is that uh, Jung, he talked about the four four pillars of psychotherapy and pillar four was transformation and he said the only way transformation ever happens is if the therapist is being transformed at the same time. Like if you are, uh, some, if you are someone who's trying to help other people and you're not involved in the process, you're not, you know, the student of your own theories, 
don't yeah. ever expect to be useful to someone else. Um, so uh, I love that you've noticed that, that there was a really speedy thing that happened for me and because it felt unhindered. Like that's that's the whole name of my, um, you know, the end state, the prize, the, the, the offering is to be able to be unhindered, to be able to show up at your best where it matters most rather than feel hindered by doubt, fear and insecurity. So I, I was clear about, yeah, I want to put together something that's useful for people that changes the narrative people are having with, with insecurity. And I, I want to do that now. So great. And just felt um, even in the midst of book writing, I just had this window of clarity to go, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And straight away I went and recorded it and got a great marketing guy and web guy who helped me did the branding and, you know, put it all together. And so, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that out there. And a bunch of people have already jumped on and uh, done that short course and are enjoying the process already. So, um, yeah, but that's, that is the, the intention to help people become unhindered uh, so that they can do their best work where it matters most. And that's awesome. And anybody listening right now, you also have um, an interesting uh, a test that you've created based mm-hmm. on 10,000 10, of coaching hours, I believe. Well, at least. Like, and I think that's a, a, a number that's important in terms of mastery, um, you know, to really develop proficient skill set in one area does require at least 10 hours of, of constant, constant work. Like that's, um, so yeah, this has been something I've devoted my life to and I've obsessed about. And, um, there's not many nights where I, uh, don't have conversations about insecurity in my dreams. Like sometimes I wake up exhausted because, you know, there's, I'm explaining some concept to someone over the phone in my dream and, I mean, this, you know, it's so it's it's uh, it's everything. So yeah, out of that process and the, the observations, um, the the diagnostic tool to go, okay, find out where insecurity is costing you the most. And, and there's two tests I've, I've developed, mm-hmm. one for business and just one for life. Just um, yeah, so it's a useful thing. It's a pretty vulnerable test to do because you kind of to journey into a, a scary area. But uh, you know, it's a courageous thing to do, but a really useful thing to do. Absolutely, I definitely can relate. I mean, I've done the test, uh, I've done the personal test, and the questions are, uh, yeah, definitely very personal, very deep, and they bring up, yeah, some some emotions around it. So, but yeah, absolutely, you know, getting through it, getting through the end of the test, um, it's a great, great diagnostic tool. I loved it. So, thanks. Yeah, well cool. done, mate. And and it's something I haven't been, I haven't seen before actually on the mm-hmm. internet. Like, it's, it was a good thing to see. You know, um, not just like from a, you know, I'm, I'm always excited about, you know, when it comes to online marketing and, you know, lead magnets and, and how things are done mm. and, you know, what's the next step. And, but I haven't seen something like this where it was uh, a quantifiable result where it gave me a number, gave me a score and gave me also some specific, like not specific, but it gave me a bit of a, a bit of an answer. Okay, well, here's where you are. Here is your, where your true potential could be. Um, do you relate to that? And I saw that I'm like, yeah, definitely relate to that. And mm. so, you know, great, yeah, very, very good tool. Very, very, both from you know the magnet, uh, lead magnet perspective, but also what it does. So yeah, great, All right, cool, thanks. Now uh, back to your own business. So, what is the hardest thing that you've had to overcome in your business so far? Oh boy. Uh, well. Uh, that's yeah gee there's been lots of things um you know being a coach it's one big exercise in backing yourself yep. i love that the coaching industry is not regulated so there's no one that can tell you you can't 
but no one who's helping you with the can either. Like, you know, it's not a, an industry where you go and get a degree and then there's some open doors and it's, it's naturally recognised. Your coach, it's just a conversation with people. You're, you're selling yourself all the time and people are going, yeah, I believe you or I don't believe you. So you can't hide. Uh, it's the only way to succeed as a coach is to embody your message. So it's all in all the time. Um, so, yeah, there's been incredibly cha- incredible challenges. Um, you know, I moved to Germany uh, with the idea that I was going to break my dependency from having, you know, face-to-face coaches in coffee shops, coaching sessions in coffee shops in Goulburn to creating an, an online platform and to be able to be location independent. And I got on the plane with one person signed up to my first online program and no plan B. Um, that was hard. That was harder than I thought selling that product and getting, gaining enough money to survive in another country for that long. Uh, when I came home, uh, it was, it was even harder actually. Like it was like there was crickets. There was, there was nothing happening. Um, so I got, I did some work, uh, laboring for a mate who's a builder for three months <laughs> while I had no money. I earned $20 in, in the month that I got home, uh, from doing a drum lesson and then zero coaching clients. So there have been lots of times where I'm like, this is too hard. Like, uh, making this business work the way that I'd like it to, solving the problem that I believe it could, and monetizing it, marketing it, like it's so hard. Um, Especially but, because you're trying to build into a livelihood as well. I mean, you're yeah, passionate yeah. About, about the message and, and, and it's obviously there because if it wasn't, you wouldn't have started. But at the same time, it's, it's your lifestyle and it's, it's what, you know, you're going to yeah, absolutely. Um, provide for your family, right? For sure. And, you know, I am very ambitious and altruistic and values-driven. So I think that the hardest thing along the line was not giving up or selling or selling out, just going, yeah, I could do something else. I could. I had, I had friends say, Damon, you know, get a real estate, li- real estate license, go and sell houses, you'll make lots of money. I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh, Damon, just don't worry about life coaching. Go into business coaching. That's where you make more money as a business coach. Life coaching, you can't make money as a life coach. I'm like, yeah, maybe they're all true, but this is what I want to do. Like, this is what's meaningful to me. And so I think that's probably the hardest part, staying the course, going, I feel like I'm so close to providing something that actually ticks all three boxes. It, it does make money. Uh, it is what I love to do and it does make a massive difference. So, yeah, and at different times, one of those three have been leading and one or two have been lagging behind. But I think finding uh, a space now where all three have come together, it's a beautiful experience but a very challenging one to, to pull it all together over the years. And I think a bit of a test as well, right? Because when it's still not making any money and like you said, it was just crickets, it just opens up the can of worms with the insecurities again, right? It starts to oh, creep totally. back up on you. Yeah, absolutely. And what what do people think if I was to quit and, you know, what I'm supposed to be showing an example of success but I'm not making any money and, yeah, I opened up a whole bunch of insecurity about well, am I good enough? You know, I think I'm really good at this, but if I was so good at this, why can't I make any money? So, yeah, a constant opportunity to dive into my own personal development, ex- explore my own doubts, fears, insecurities and work through that. And as I've done that, I've learned some stuff about myself and that's helped me learn some stuff about others and it all keeps evolving uh, when you stay the course. 
I've heard there's an interesting curve with all of that. You know, initially when you when you emerge in the market, nobody talks to you, nobody knows about you. So there's the crickets. Yeah. And you start breaking through and you you start to get um pushback. Then you keep going through the pushback and then you finally start to get some following and some base. But initially, you know, there's crickets, then people might have a laugh and sort of yeah, tear yeah. you from the ter- tear you from your goal and then uh, and then the naysayers and and then you just got to keep going through it until you crack through, right? What was the biggest? What was the moment for you that you 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 started to see success and why? Uh, there's been lots of different breakthrough moments along the way, so I couldn't pinpoint one. Um, you know, so so selling my first online program that was a, an incredible experience. Like, wow, this is possible. If I can do it once, well, then I can do it twice. You know. Um, selling my first 12-month coaching package where it had everything I could possibly imagine and it was the most expensive thing I'd ever sold. Um, I just thought, I'm just going to create this premium experience. I'm going to put it out there. And someone said, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'm just like, you're kidding me. Someone's going to spend $15,000 with me over 12 months. That's extraordinary. <laughs> like, what a treat. And it was such a wonderful experience with them. Uh, you know, so that was a defining moment. Um you know, having opportunities to do TEDx, that was an extre- extremely meaningful moment to go, wow, my message has got enough value to have been called upon to then, you know, speak on this platform. Um, moments where, I, you know, I get someone's emailed me from the other side of the world, they've just read my book and it's, uh, you know, it's been so meaningful for them or, or it's changed them. Like you think, wow, that's that's success. That is, that's, I dreamed of this moment. I dreamed of being able to put something out there I've read books my whole life. I love the books and I just think what a gift that someone has gone to the trouble of developing this idea and putting it in a form that someone else can benefit from. Imagine being able to do that. Imagine having an idea that's valuable and doing the work around communicating that in written form so that someone one day would benefit from that. Um, So lots of moments. You know, the lifestyle, just to be able to go. I remember the first... The first time I thought, my goodness, uh, I am sustaining myself in this business. This is providing for my family. I'm doing what I love. It's not not earning a lot of money, but we're not going backwards. I'm covering the mortgage. Uh, everyone's got clothes. There's food on the table. Okay, I'm I'm doing it. Um, that you know, so moments like that along the way, I think. Have all I been- think that's a big one. I think that's a really big one because when you're trying to grow something, you still need to provide for your family. So you still need an income coming from somewhere. And until it starts to make that money, you have to do an extra job somewhere. That's right. Yeah. But then the frustration comes in because you're like, for me anyway, like, you know, you get so driven. You want to get it out there. You want you want more time to work right. on that, but you can't because you've got to work somewhere else to make the money. So. Money. But back to you, I think the big, the big thing, the big takeaway thing I'm getting out of this is that you've stayed on the course, you've stayed, you know, you've stayed determined and you didn't uh, get away from that. You just kept going until you cracked through. And essentially, we could basically summarize it as it's a journey on becoming a key person of influence. Mm, when you start, so. there is an influence, but nobody hears about it and stronger you longer you keep going and the stronger you keep pushing out that message you will influence more and more people and then it creates that trickle effect where at some point boom you start to get tedx speaking geeks or this and that and and then actually it actually goes like that and then like that 
a little yeah, bit like that. Yeah. For sure. And and it's amazing all the seed you sow, all the content that you put out there, all the people that you impact, like eventually that fruit all matures and it all comes back. Like there are, there are some times where I think, my goodness, I would have to work very hard to destroy this business. Like I'm sure I could. If you give me six months, I reckon I could ruin this thing. But if I have a bad week, like I've done so much good for so long, um, there's fruit that's coming all, from all parts of the world because of stuff that I wrote 10 years ago or eight years ago or that conversation I had that I didn't think went anywhere but I showed up at my best or that time that I spoke for free at this conference and thought, oh, well, I didn't get any money but that was a good experience and that person remembered it and they spoke to this one and yeah, and all this stuff starts flowing back. Um, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight but you keep doing the work and keep showing up and eventually that stuff all starts coming back in, with a cumulative effect. Um, and there's some momentum behind what you're doing and your message. It's like investing. You, you yeah. may not invest with money, but you're investing with your time and effort. And like you said, going, doing a, a speaking gig for free, while at the time it may have been like, oh, well, I'm not making any money, but I'll do it. But in reality, you've invested your energy and that presence stays and that memory stays with other people's, you know, in other people's heads, that memory stays. And yeah, so it's investing in that and just, staying on 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 a track so that's that's awesome man um what do you wish you had known when you started this uh i don't know there's i don't know i'm not sure if there's anything that i wish that i'd known no regrets no definitely not and and the surprises the challenges I think they've been gifts along the way and if i'd known about them ahead of time maybe i would have resisted them or not wanted to go down difficult paths. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really, I don't know how to answer that question. That's all right. I'll follow it up with another tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Well, I would say almost no one agrees that insecurity can be resolved. I would say the, the language, the literature, the work from most people is that you just manage it, you get by, you you deal with it. You know, it's something that we're always plagued by, the imposter monster, you just got to quieten it, you fight against it, you resist it, you feel the fear and act anyway, you just override it with courage and discipline or you use people to hold you accountable to do the things you're afraid of doing yourself. I just think, mm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a better way. I'm absolutely convinced that, the, the natural progression of insecurity is that it is there for us to overcome, to remove, so that we do plumb the depths of our own identity and we come out the side knowing to the deep, every cell in our body knowing that we are actually enough with nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Um, and sure, there'll be other things as we grow, the other things and fears and insecurities that pop up, but, but the, the ultimate sense of owning your own value and worth I'm sure that's part of the adult journey for every single human being uh, and our most meaningful work. What about psychologists? Because that's an interesting one. You know, sometimes we've got those unconscious things from back in our childhoods, which is causing our insecurities. And mm. now we're an adult. We're trying to overcome that insecurity, but we might not realize what, what it's causing. it. So sometimes sure. it might be beneficial to maybe have a, a session with psychologists or maybe hype, uh, a the, therapist. Yes, yes. 
Um, yes, I mean there are great there are great therapists, great psychologists, uh, you know. But I I love the coaching space because I think it it has the freedom to to borrow, steal, use the best tools in human behavioral science from all those disciplines. So I definitely take people back. I go, of course you've got to go back. Um, your whole life is shaped by the defining moments of your childhood. That's by the time you're seven, you've decided so much about who you are and how the world works. So of course you're going to have to go back. And of course you'll have limited awareness around those things because they're so long ago. So, uh, you know, practice six in the seven essential practices is to be the hero in your own story. And that hero's work is always a journey back. It's always a back to the origins of where fear and, and limiting beliefs and opinions about yourself were first formed. So, yeah, a psychologist, some psychologists do that well, some psychologists don't. Some coaches do that well, some coaches don't. Uh, but I think if you're going to insec- if you're going to resolve insecurity, uh, it is essential that you go back one way or another. Mate, that was with that we can pretty much just wrap it up. <laughs> and amazing to have you on the show. Um how can people find you? Well, quite easily, as I mentioned, you type overcoming insecurity, um, you know, a couple of clicks and you found me. Uh, my name, Jamin Fraser, if you can work out how to spell it. I'm the only Jamin Fraser in the world as far as I know. So, again, quite easy to find. Um, look for the Insecurity Project podcast on iTunes or Spotify or, or YouTube. Uh, yeah. Now, we've got a special offer for the listeners, I believe. Uh, yeah, well, I'd... Um, we we can absolutely what we've got the i mean the unhindered short course which has just been released um so the it's it's 99 dollars, which to me is a no-brainer it's it's uh such a um you know you're going to need some help to do the work around solving insecurity so i i love would love for people to feel like when they come to the insecurity project they get this they take this deep sighing ah this like i feel like i finally found the place i've been looking for i'd love to be able to have that experience when they come to my site to go ah this guy seems like he's devoted a lot of energy into this specific problem so okay what what do i do okay great well listen to the podcast you'll you'll hear conversations and content you go read the book great and then when you've done that go go do the short course because there are tools and frameworks that are going to be vital to you to help you do this work and then if and when you're ready, there's opportunities to do one-on-ones. So the unhindered short course for $99 is the is the normal price. Um, there'll be a, a discount offer if you go through the link that you provide, Vit. Yep. Um, so I'll be able to uh, offer a 15% discount for that uh, if people have listened to this show and uh, you click the link that you provide. And, so, and, and even more of a no-brainer that they're getting that extra benefit. Excellent. I'll be sure to put all the links in the show notes. And with that, it's been amazing having you on the show. We've provided a lot of value. It was great having uh, having a conversation with you today. And I look forward to catching up on the flip side. Good on you, Vit. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to another interview on the Success Inspired podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of my interview with Jamin. And if you, if you do think that you may have perhaps some of your own insecurities that is stopping you, preventing you from being more successful, then I definitely I definitely recommend you you get in touch with Jamin and, and you know and get his and seek his help. Now on the next 
interview on the next podcast. I'm talking to Scott Trevithan. He is a founder and managing director of Go Global Bookkeeping. He um, he's been in the accounting business in the accounting world for many many years, and it's been really pleasure and privilege to have him on the podcast, talking to him about you know how did he go about starting his current business. He talks about also his uh, prior experience when he was starting out and how he tried to open a coffee shop and. And the first he thought he's going to become a photographer because that was his passion, but it didn't really work out. And then naturally led to to be an accountant because that's what he was naturally more good at. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about his journey now, and you know what what it's like to run big big scale business like that with over seventy employees. And 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 he shares some really valuable tips for small to medium business owners. Um, accounting specific tips understanding numbers and and things that a lot of people don't do these days uh, when they start a business like planning ahead what's the end goal in mind and things like that so we talk about an hour uh, if you're somebody who who has a business or you're looking at you know starting your own business then you should definitely definitely listen to this next next entry now, to get notified about all the upcoming interviews, make sure to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes, you can subscribe on Spotify and all the other typical platforms, or you can simply jump to, to the website, which is successinspiredpodcast.com, where you can find a link to subscribe to the mailing list, and I'll be keeping you updated so you don't miss out. Uh, what else? What else? Well, look, if you really enjoy this this show that I do and if you listen to some of the other interviews that I did and would like to support this show, um, I would love if you could share it uh, to your mates on social media so you can help me spread the word. Um, you know, increasing listeners would help me um, greatly in helping me cover the cost in the future when I look at monetizing it. At the moment, look, this is a passion project. I do it on the side. I do it in my own time. Um and I'm doing it for you so that I can provide value. Um, but I would also love it at some point to for this to become a lifestyle business so that it can support me and my family. Um, I'm just being honest here, right? There is a there is a business behind it as well, and as it should, as it should, I think um, for anything that you do out of passion um, to help other people is great. But you know, if you can make it into into your own lifestyle business, uh, a business that can support, you know. Your basic living costs, um, so that you can do more of it. I think there's nothing to be ashamed of. So here I am. That's my message. Thank you again for listening, and I look forward to uh, have you on the show, listening to the next interview next time. Bye for now. Stay inspired. Stay successful, and all the best. Mm-hmm.